My name is Andrew, Andrew Dunn. I'm the director of photography and cinematographer on the United States vs. Bailey Holiday. And this is a Go Creative show. Hello and welcome to the Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. My name is Ben Consoli, and today's guest is Andrew Dunn, BSC, the Director of Photography for the United States versus Billy Holiday. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a real privilege, and I'd love to talk about that film because it's one of the very special ones for me. Uh, I'm talking to you from uh, west of London, uh, just in, in prep on a new film. And uh, so please have the time to talk to you. So thank you. Well, there is a lot to talk about. The film absolutely is great. It looks so good. And I can't wait to talk to you about kind of the way you achieved that period look without pushing too hard. And it's just so creamy and beautiful. It's, it, it, I, I just can't wait. So thank you for being on. Before we get to all of that, I want to thank our sponsor, MZ Education for Creatives. Check them out at mz.com and use the promo code GCS to get 20% off. GCS20 over at mz.com. And of course, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and YouTube. We've got a lot of exclusive content on YouTube for you and all things Go Creative Show at gocreativeshow.com. All right, Andrew. I was doing some research on you. You've been doing this for a while, certainly, and uh, have just such a huge portfolio of work uh, under your belt. Um, And in a previous interview, you had said, and let me pull this quote up here, you talked about cinematographers being chameleons. Uh, I think that was in The Londoner, the SW Londoner. You had mentioned that quote. Do you even remember saying that? Uh, I, I loved that quote, and I wanted to start right there because I think it really... It it lends to your overall philosophy of what cinematography is. So, cinematographers are chameleons. What does that mean to you? I think being a cinematographer, one has to embark on each project fresh. And one of my sayings is you try and forget what you know so you do start fresh as a virgin. And you, you can forget what you know, but you can't unknow what you know. So it'll come back to you as, as because of your experience. So as far as being a chameleon is concerned, I embark on every project, often with new directors, and even with directors I've, uh, I've worked before, that you're one, uh, as a cinematographer, you have to be malleable and be able to pursue that particular project and come, or come to off the page and work on the designer, costume designer, the director, producers, writers, and the actors. One, you have to fit in with that and still within those that wonderful collaboration of all these people that you produce what you want to produce but it's falling into what the whole piece is so there is always an ego to do i pretend i don't have an ego uh, but there is always an ego involved because we're all human beings and therefore you're going to impart what you know and your own uh, experience, knowledge, and input, and in collaboration with other people. So the chameleonness of it is that you will adapt and put on a new coat and not entirely shed the old coat, but you'll put on a new coat and that coat will see you through this project. Um, I've just worked with two new directors and barking if we're starting prep today on a new film, that's a whole new director from a new project. So again, I'm shedding a coat and putting on a new coat. And with uh, well, that's very exciting for me because you you don't rest on either laurels or things you knew, know or think you know before that moment. So you have to start, I think, start fresh. And that's what I really mean by it. Well, what do you think about the idea that a cinematographer kind of brings their 
vision to a project. They've cinematographer maybe has their own particular style. Do you think that is a detriment to cinematographers to to be to have like a specific style to them? Uh, no, I don't. I think it's very valid. And I, I think this our, our um, natural saying just now the the what I call ego or our own uh, upbringing, experience, knowledge, uh, input, and feeding off the director writers of what comes off the page and the locations, uh, you're impart your own style into that. And I think I, if you look uh, into a lot, most of my work, they probably will, although I might deny it, there probably is uh, a thread of a line of a style within that, whether it's camera movement or a type of light. But you, you sort of um, don't strive against it. You, you, you use, I use that to develop and learn and every new story has a new look but i know there will be looks within each film i do that will you'll be recognized um i mean i think same with directors i mean most of the directors i admire um sorry most directors one of my things is that most directors make the same film over and over again and they can't help it. It's just the way it is, you know, and it's natural because we're all who we are and you're, you're in life's experience. So you're going to, when the, when the chip's down, you can tell your story. You're going to tell a story in your own way. So um, I think the same for us as cinematographers. In fact, I once said that, I, I did a couple of films with Stephen Freer, and I said to Stephen, who's one of the directors I admire, I was lucky enough to work with him at the time, I said, one of the things I admire about you is that you um, don't make the same film you know, I said, quote, made that quote about directors making the same film over again. Mm-hmm. I said, with you, you don't. They're always different. And, he, he, and Stephen said to me, dear boy, if you look very carefully, you'll see that I do. And who, and I, who is it that you said that to? Uh, Stephen Freer is the director. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, I, well, what, what, so he was saying that if you look closer, I do? Yes. And I think the same for, and I've always, that's like a very long time ago now, but I, think that I you 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 can't help it because although you might enjoy employ different cameras, different style of lights, I work with different gaffers and uh, people around the world all the time. So there's always those influences on me and I'm learning all the time. So those those people come in sideways, left, upside down, and turn me around hopefully, but you're still gonna eat on the when the heat is on in the heat of battle each day, you're gonna fall back in some way or other on something you know. And that's inevitable as a human being that you know that that those things come through. So, like in um, say, for example, the, the, the LA story, uh, Man is King George, uh, Perks Being Wallflower, Precious, um, Gospel Park. There are there are Calamari Crystal. There are beats within those. All of those. I'm working with different set of parameters, different locations, different directors, different stories. I think within those, you will see um, inevitably uh, um, telltale signs. Yeah. And, and I mean, all of those films you mentioned just have such a distinct look about them where it really does feel like it almost feels like you could look and, and just you, I don't think you would assume it was even the same cinematographer behind all those films. And I think that's really a testament to your work is that you do allow for kind of a new look, a new feel. It's fresh every time. So let's talk about the United States versus Billy, Billy Holiday and specifically the look of the film. How do you describe, I guess, how would you describe the look of the film? I, what am I, I, I think what I generally try to do, and I think it's worked in this, is to treat the camera as a member of the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 
the cinema, the, the, the cinema-going audience and TV watchers, uh, uh, we're, we're, the whole age-old thing of all being voyeurs. So you're in the situation, you're in the room with these people, but you're not there at all. So this camera thing is that person, is the audience, clearly, because that's what it is, that's what it does. And we use it to get inside. And I, I desperately, not desperately, but my, one of my sort of mantras and ways of working is to get inside the character. Mm. So it's to not... Obviously, we use techniques and we have to use lenses and filters and all sorts of things, but it's to, it's to feel... It's not just our coaching personal. It's actually a, like a, a connection between that person and the camera. Then, then the audience will feel the person much more strongly, not just looking at them. You're in the story with them. And in this case, with so many performances, mm. you really can use that metaphor. I mean, the camera really is kind of an audience member in Billy Holiday's performances throughout the film, too. It, it is. And then you're, you're and through, you know, the, the choice of ed- editing, obviously we do all the footage, but the um, the notes, what I call go back to that sort of Sidney Lumet thing of uh, a, a film being like a symphony, so the highs and lows, and you're denying the audience's beats, and then you're suddenly lifting their spirits and taking them somewhere else, and the, 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 the emotion of it. So we will sometimes pull back, and then you're, 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 giving the audience distance, but then the audience really wants to, to will themselves, and you're forcing the will to get back in there. So you open up wider, and then you come back in. Not, not long lens, we have to use long lens, but long, sometimes you're really close in a wider lens, so you actually feel um, a connect, real connection. So the look of it is, for me, bearing in mind what I just said, is to actually feel, and it goes for a lot of films, I do period films and I, elsewhere, and Pierce is more more difficult because you actually want to take the audience back into that place, yeah. not look not look back on it uh, through some glass darkly, and so you're separate. You've got to be actually feel zero at the time. Uh, of course, making the actors feel comfortable in that situation makes it a lot easier for us. So you, uh, that's a, that's a sort of dance that we have with the camera and the uh, choreography, of the camera, the lighting, and, uh, the, the lenses, and film stock is that we are there with them, and then then they. But knowingly or unbeknownly, they respect that and give us, give the audience, which is us, the camera, this this, this thing, um, more. And they they trust it and trust us. And you're 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 with them. You know, it's a big thing with me. So I repeat it. You're not um, you're with them in the story. You're not looking at them. Yeah. You're on the, in, on this journey with them. So the audience has to feel that they're there with them. So the choice of film as opposed to digital, was not, uh, it, for me, it's no, well, yeah, no brain is a silly phrase, but it's almost no brain because you want to, f- film has a, a texture and I'm not being sort of Luddite or an anti-digital because actually a lot of digital as well. And I think that has its purpose and you can have a challenge or its own, but film, the film we chose for this is to actually has, it has a movement within each frame. So each, each frame, the emulsion, the halation on the back of the, um, the film stock on the, on the, the celluloid, it, it, it lives in the layers of the film will, will live within that. Yeah, you're talking about the actual film itself has a little bit of motion. It uh, does. It, it just shifts ever so slightly, it and does. you just don't get that with digital, and that was part of the no. reason why you chose film for this. It, it was, and it, it has. It's, it's also live, uh, and I think the 
the, the sumptuous, sumptuousness of it. And that's a difficult word to use because you don't want to be too sumptuous and too rich because this person had a, you know, a tough life. Yeah. So the, 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 the beats and the journey of her has to be the, the, all the, the, the years that we cover. I mean, basically we're covering sort of um, uh, 11 or 12 years, but yeah. flashbacks and elsewhere. So you're, you're covering all the time, but you want to, not you've got to respect the time and not just be okay. I'm a cinematographer, I can use the stock, I can use the lights, I can be smart. And, and you, then it's about us. It's it, oh, for me, it's always going to be about the actor, uh, and and what they're working with is uh, with the script and the set. So that wasn't uh, a difficult decision because, it, as, you, as you just said, the film has a sort of texture and life to it. However much we try and make uh, digital do that, digital is a different way of storytelling, and why you say that. We're storytellers, and we use this camera as an art film, as a as a as a, sculpt, as, you know, art, um, yeah. a sculptor's hammer and chisel, artist paintbrush, and drawing, which is all these things we've said number million times before. And it was interesting what you said too about the idea that you know you you chose film because it it breathes, it moves, and all that, but you also wanted to do a period piece that didn't look back but made the viewer feel like they were actually in that time period. And I think there's an interesting distinction there. Can you elaborate a little bit more? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's um, because we, when, it's a very good point because when we look back uh, footage and, as, as we did and we, we, we do footage and stills a bit holiday, mostly black and white. I'm not colorized, but uh, so therefore, we're again we're looking back at that. And although we could have shot this in black and white, it would have felt wrong because her life was extremely colorful. And to go on that journey, to have her outside in Central Park and the Easter time, the wonderful the kids running around and yeah. the sunlight, and it's sort of like a it's a double-edged thing that you can um, what's the word when you're working against what you're presented. So you can sort of present something, but actually what you're really feeling, what she's doing, what the story's, where the story's going is like, so you're being, um, uh, you're, you're, you're not the opposite of what you're trying to tell, but you're, you're playing with it. Yeah. And you're wrestling with the image and the thing. So that's important to use um, the, the film and some these old lenses that we had, which we adjusted a little bit to make tweak them a little bit more sort of into, if you're not a sort of vintage, again, not a vintage looking back through, uh, the 70 years of um, time gone by, but it's actually taking us back to that time. And of course, we all know films from the 40s and 50s that um, have a look about them, but they, but they had a vast array of um, uh, techniques and the, the, the journey at that time, because they were in the 50s, films were fighting TV coming in, so they were getting to, into cinema and widescreen and other things, because that's. Yeah. And huge spectacles over there. So, well, they needed also... a reason to compete. I mean, people had in their TVs just that square box and just that that more landscapey look, that anamorphic look, was what really drew people to the theaters yes. at the time. It absolutely did. So, yeah, so those those are really that's really what's happening then. But so we clearly wanted didn't want to do that, and we don't want to do the really interesting cinema noir of some of those 40s and 50s films, but I think within our film, there's a nod to those also, but the colour of the life around her and within her and what she did with the costumes, fabulous costumes that Paolo created with Lee and, um, and what, you know, the makeup and hair and things. So we want to like, play with that and show it off and not sort of make it too flat. 
hope and, 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 and the, the depth so for me it's always like a, you know create dimension sure. on the screen and, and depth so let's talk about the lens package that you chose for the united states versus billy holiday um you are filming and you're using film um you're creating this period piece of the you know 40s 50s ish time period uh how what what kind of lenses do you use to create that look uh, we chose chose initially we going with film. Uh, we wanted to shoot anamorphic, mm. so it's natural as widescreen, and it has it's natural aberrations in in anamorphic and the without sort of being too uh, self conscious about the flares. But there are natural flares and and uh, you know there's, there's so within that and then we talking to my friends at Panavision in uh, Montreal, London. Um, in LA, and we found the um, the, the old Panavision Pana, C series and supplemented with an E series, and then Dan Zaki in Los Angeles, who's a genius for the lenses, tweaked them a wee bit just to make them all uh, to match, but also to to just shift a couple of elements in the middle just to get them off kilter a little bit. Yeah, you hardly you, you, one of the things you hardly see it. Um, I think one of the, one of the things that what we do you can. You can you're going to see things because that's what we do, but you're also going to feel it. Feel exactly. it. Exactly. So you feel things. You're not you're not always being. I mean, Tony films are, and I've been guilty of shooting also are expositional, like someone standing there telling you what's happening, or what's going to happen, what did happen. Well, all those things make a difference, like you said. Like they they might be minor tweaks here and there, but when everything lines up together, including the costumes and the set design and the production and just everything, it all makes a difference, regardless of how small each individual exactly. tweak is. And it it, it does because so with, with Lee conducting the orchestra, we all um, <laughs> we all come together. But so it does. It, it, it's a it's a interesting because he he pushes and prods and then. It takes us somewhere else we might not go, and so yeah, I'm going back to your question about uh, how to approach a new project. It is um, I'm there as a director's uh, one, of the, one of the main collaborators and storytellers. So you have, yeah, I'm obligated and I want to to feed off that person and then go down that journey with them. We're shooting on film. We're using these vintage lenses for that anamorphic kind of look, making the tweaks like you had mentioned. Are you adding any filtration to the front of that lens? I, I we do, and I always um, ever since I've started. I'm gonna say always, but uh, but I, I will always use some filtration on the front and sometimes on the back. Mm. Um, my next project I'm going to play around with using some. Um, I got some old silk stockings from the fifties and eBay, and I'm going to sort of play play with those. Oh wow! Um, so. Um, and, uh, well, just, just to, to take a little tangent there, how, how would you use that? Well, you use you 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 stretch them on the on the back it, 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 on on the, across the back elements of I'm not thinking to play here, but so that's that's like the, that's like the, the front of the lens here. Yeah, yeah. Point, point of view, and the back of the lens as an element here, which is this bit. So I, I've got my little Sony lens here. So I've got my our front of the lens here. Yep. And you're talking about you actually put the so the silk stocking right against you the do. back. You stretch it over the back, and then you play with it, and you can tweak it however tight you do it, you do it, which angle you do it. Because if you do it twisted a wee bit, it becomes a, you, get, you see the angles, and some some highlights become like a what like an MTV style filter, like look. Oh wow! 
um, which is good and bad. So um, on, on um, for, uh, Gosford Park, for example, I use nets on the back. I think LA Story I did in Gosford Park because of the candlelight, I found we're getting star filters. So then we, I checked out different sort of filter which would match the stockings, which didn't have the star filter thing. Um, and so on, uh, on United States First Beer Holiday, we didn't opt for the stockings, but we, well, I chose some Schneider black diffusion, black frost filters, which have a, and Schneider have made these for me. And they, the way they make them is hand done with a spray. And they, um, they give, again, give another dimension and what I call inviting the audience in. Yeah. Although, the, although there's a bit of glass in between what I call the, the audience, which is a camera thing, these lenses, uh, there's a bit of glass in front. But I think it actually helps. You're not separating, you're, you're inviting in. And it's, for me, that's a big thing. So the filters we use in Schneider's. Mainly, Schneider Black Frost, you, they're called? Uh, yeah, Schneider Black, Black Frost. Frost. And, um, and also um, some of the other sequences, you know, we, uh, we use... Um, a Bolex hand, you know, sixteen millimeter clockwork Bolex. Yeah. For some of the scenes, um, and the beauty about the Bolex is that when the clockwork version is when you stop and start, the trigger will it gives some flat frames. So within a uh, a sequence of shooting Billy Holly singing, by Andra, then we I'd sort of cut. Cut the camera in camera, so we just uh, jump and the bit gets rid. And you can you can't get any other way because the the way the clockwork burlocks happen, it works. It takes a moment to build up speed and a moment to die down and build up again. So they always can get these flash frames. And we uh, once or twice we tried an electric motor on the side of the burlocks, and it didn't work because it got up to speed so immediately. Yeah, so you didn't get the same effect. So that, and then, but on the burlocks because of those lenses, which are again very old. We um, didn't use any filters on that. That had his own sort of natural sort of um, patina about it. And I love those moments in the film because it really does when you're, it, it almost feels like it's speeding up or slowing down. Like there, there's yeah. some real time ramping going on. And it, it's cool to see that that was happening right there in camera. That's awesome. It did. did. No, we definitely did a real, I don't think it's any, obviously with visual effects, people being on the same page, and creating a post, you can, but it's like starting off with the um, the concept of it, and then explaining it to someone else, and then describing it. And there it is; it's there, it's, it's in the film, it's there forever. And we presented the editor, and and, um, uh, and uh, um, Jay, our editor, just loved it. He wanted more of it, so we used masks. Well, it's really great. And and other things that you see within the film too are these little. There's almost these little transitions between scenes occasionally where you'll go to black and white and you'll just sort of have like, uh, you even changed the, the, the aspect ratio to kind of that old school aspect ratio. I love those elements. Did that idea come from you or did that come from, um, uh, Lee? I think it's combination not from me specifically because that, that was more in the cutting room. We knew that they wanted to use some, uh, old footage like New York. I think there's the, um, the, uh, which are the big hotel is it? by Central Park, the Ritz Carlton, whatever it is, and there's a tilt down there. I think that was actually black and white, and they colorized it. And there's a shot of a bus, and they go from color to black and white and transition to the next scene. Oh, without that's being, so cool. That sort of being, and I, I loved it. Some of the early cuts we had, it was a little bit sort of jarring, but then they use more of them, and but then more and less because it didn't, it fed in naturally through black and white, through color, and then take us back to another. So it wasn't like, here we are. 
it wasn't sort of um, saying here we are now in Philadelphia or San Francisco or New York, just like a banner or some other thing. It actually did give you a feeling again of going into the time and place of being there. And it felt organic and natural. So you've got a lot of things going on to kind of give that the film um, some softness. You've got the choice of film. You have the the lens choices, those vintage lenses that have been tweaked. You're throwing some filtration in the front of it. Um, did you also incorporate haze into the into the into the room? Did you add atmosphere to your scenes? We did, yeah. Um, particularly the, um, the, the the stage performances. You could actually read the spotlight, and, of course, and, yeah. You know, when it, so that always helps. And a, a, a um, and one of the things about, about um, Atmos, atmosphere, uh, haze, you call it, is that you, you sort of see the light. So when I, when I, when I was uh, starting out doing this, and I used quite a bit of smoke. I was in Liverpool somewhere, I think. And uh, at lunchtime, the, one of the producers came up to me and, with a writer. And I said, and he said, tell me about smoke. Why are you using smoke? I said, I don't know. It just looks great, you know. Just like I like it, and he, a uh, very upright English gentleman, he said to the, "I think it's because you see the lights." I was, this light very long something. And I remember every, every, always since because you actually do you, you feel the light as a natural. Yeah, uh, it's not like a filter, you know, where you're like you know this glass and it, it actually is the same filtering all the way through. Um, it's actually a gradated filter and gives you more depth. So we did use where we could most of the time. Uh, use some filtration, and we had a very, very um, terrific um, special effects person with us in, in Montreal, and the whole Montreal team was, were amazing. I literally came off a film in um, Vancouver, uh, a high uh, a lot of, with a lot of visual effects. On Friday, and I started in Montreal on the Monday, and I didn't know anybody. And uh, these guys, my camera crew, my camera crew, the ACs and people, all, all used film not very long ago. So they were into the whole film thing. Um, great gaffer, key grip. And I, was, I landed very lucky in Montreal. And it goes to the special effects people, the Hayes. So. And they're always watching. The, um, with, with Hayes, the Atmos on the set, you have to have someone there while you're setting up, that you're, when we're ready and the actors are ready for that mo- that magic moment. That the uh, the atmosphere is there ready. They're not saying, "Oh no, the AD says, oh, you know," and then you wait another five minutes, and the moment dives, you lose it. Exactly. Just balancing that is incredible. Just to like get the timing yeah. perfect, and also that there's not when you're using atmosphere like that. I mean, just there's a talent in just getting it to be evenly dispersed in the room because you can get these puffy clouds where it's heavy in one spot and thin in another. I mean, it is. You really you're adding a lot of complication when you add atmosphere. I don't think people really understand that unless they've used it. No, when, it, when it's great, it's and you've got the right people doing it, it's, it's magic. Uh, and, uh, and even what I call the Tony, Tony Scott principle, where you'd, you have a very strong backlight one way and you're very dense, and you look the other way and it's hardly any. I, mean, I think that, that sort of um, uh, conceit, or the other, the, the, or the, the other word, I'm a cameraman, not a word person, yeah. um, is that they just go with that, but you still can't have these clouds washing around. So again, we, in, in, in Montreal, I was very, very lucky with the person doing because he's always watching and catching my eye and up, down. And it worked, it worked beautifully. And it, without any destruction, without anybody really knowing we were doing it. Let's talk about the lighting for the United States versus Billie Holiday because we talked a lot about the way that you created that vintage look with camera and lenses, but did you carry that through with lighting as well? 
We did. We, um, Eames uh, Gagnon, my, my gaffer, who I hadn't worked with, with before, but he was totally committed, and we got on like a house on a fire, and he was great. And so we decided very early on to use uh, tungsten lights with Fresnel lenses in front of them mm. and, and minimize. Sometimes you have to use some um, LED uh, you know, or um, you know, modern-day lighting because you need to cover a big area with some soft light or whatever it is, um, or a little bit of light. But generally, we try to use old-fashioned, you know, 650s, 1Ks, 2Ks, uh, 5s and 10s, and things with a nice Fresnel lens on it. For your well, talent? The, for skin? Yeah, yeah, talent too. And it's like, uh, so, and, it, it, and, it, and the old-fashioned sort of key lights, like the Hollywood key lights, which, the, you know, you don't see it all the way through the film, but where we could use it, we, we tried to, so you have the sort of feeling of the, the accent of lightness of old Hollywood pictures where they see that layers over it as Jim Crawford is loving the lights. <laughs> yes. Um, so you just use the reference, but they were created, of course, that's what they had. And going down the years of people using what's available, what's new, it's like now, Ellie, you know, um, we use the modern lights and it's like, again, like the cubic principle, cubic, I'm shining, use Steadicam all the time because that's a new, new thing. And clock or RM to use radio mics all the time. So it's a new thing. So it's temptation to use new thing. But I think you have, really have to go back to one of your earlier questions is to actually respect and feed off the material. What is that? Yeah. What are we going to use? How are we going to use it? Why are we going to use it? And therefore, then I think yeah. all those things, you don't work against it, you work with it, which is natural enough. But I think sometimes we get seduced by, um, I'll probably be guilty of being guilty of it too, but sometimes we get seduced by, um, oh, this is a new gadget, the new type of light, whatever, and you, you try and use it. And it's actually with some of it, it just doesn't work because, you know, <laughs> someone up there, that, that great gaffer or storyteller in the sky is actually not letting it work and he's struggling. And then, of course, anyway. But we, so we did use um, uh, a, lot, a lot and try and keep it down with some practicals, Practicals doing a lot of work, but supplementing with soft soil. So in the back, in the background, you'd have the, the what I think I talked about earlier is the the layers and the depth and other lights in the back to creating little pockets and spots. Sure. So, so you can sort of keep the keep the foreground down a bit, um, and and uh, get really into the soul of these characters. It's sort of a story, and so such a fabulous story and such a privilege to be part of it. So you were, I mean, just inevitably you have to incorporate LEDs nowadays in some spots for sure, just for some of those larger swaths uh, of area that you were talking about before. But I love that you're using tungsten on skin tone and faces whenever possible, especially when you're trying to just replicate that look of the 40s and 50s, but also like it's just such a good quality light. You know what I mean? I think a lot of young kids coming up now that have only experienced LED, you kind of don't, you don't really, if you, uh, well, my encouragement is if you really only used LED in the past, I would just try to throw in a couple tungsten in there. Just sure. they're cheap. They're cheap. You know, yes, they get hot. You know, they're a little heavy, but they're inexpensive. You can throw them on your sets and I think just throw them through a diffusion and ah, the light is just so nice. Yeah, you can still create the same look. And they, they are, it's, a, it's, a, it's interesting because you don't have to look back far. I mean, it, it, before we get excuse me is the wrong word in this circumstance, but what's out there and you get your lighting package and the production company agree to it that's one on the truck that's what we use but it and you say they're very inexpensive very cheap 
So I'll just have a few of these lights on there and just play. It's when you're one of the scenes, just play with it and see, well, that's interesting. That's great. And you like a little kick, little kick somewhere, a little balance eye lights. And, uh, you know, and, and you can even sort of create a, a, a book light, you know, bounce and then back through diffusion. Yeah. I'd have a light. Um, and that, even that with tungsten as opposed to um, LEDs is, is different, you know. Have you played with um, the, I think it's called Lightbridge, it's the it's the mirror lighting. Like the, you'll have the one individual light source, and then do everything else with mirrors. Have you played with that at all? Oh, no, yeah. In fact, strangely enough, because uh, one of my best friends, who's a cinematographer, and he, he, we used to work together as an operator when he's an operator, Jerry uh, Vassbenter in, in London. He uh, introduced me to these just before my last shoot, which I started in in October in London. We finished just uh, three weeks ago, and he was encouraging. So we, he and I, sort of played around with a lot of our ideas of it, and then <laughs> didn't use it. it it's uh, it's so strange. It was one of my, one of actually it's not me when I did um, uh, whatever film it was in, in Dublin, and my camera says we did a lot of tests for day for night, yeah, doing filtration on that film. I think it's Count of Monte Cristo, and uh, and he'd worked with I think Stephen Goldblatt, and they they'd done a lot of tests on something, and then they didn't use it. And Stephen said to Kieran, this camera assistant, he said it's like you test for this film for what you can do on the next film, and that's yeah. the, uh, the, the what you're just describing is that we tested it but didn't use it, and now now it's because it sits in my uh, memory back here that I will. Play with it. Yeah, I'm fascinated with it. I think I, I think I might invite somebody from the from the um, company on the show just to talk about the technique because it's like I follow them on Instagram. I think it's called Lightbridge. Um, yes, it is, yeah, and it's it's just cool to the idea of having a single light source and that everything else is beamed through mirrors just sounds fun and techy and cool to me. Like I kind of <laughs> want to try it out, but it seems like a completely different way of thinking, which is going to be a hard sell when you're working on a you know, film with a huge budget. Um, but I was just curious if you had it. Uh, no problem there. But um, let's take a quick break and talk about MZ. Now, MZ is education for creatives, which is perfect for the Go Creative Show audience um, because we all want to hone our craft. We want to get better at what we do, maybe learn some other skills that support our craft as well. I mean, I know for me, I love MZ because there's hundreds of hours of high-quality video-based filmmaking education on things like directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. So there's always something to learn. And now the educators on MZ are also really high quality. I mean, we're talking about people that are at the top of their game and working in the industry at high levels. Vincent Laferre, Shane Hurlbut, Philip Bloom, right? The Ari Academy is on there. In fact, Tom Cross, the editor for La La Land and Whiplash, he has a whole course on the art and technique of film editing. And it's right there on MZET. So we're talking about really high quality courses um, that are perfect for the creative community. Now, here's the thing. You can get 20% off simply by using GCS20 in the uh, coupon code. So 20% for GCS20. And here's the thing. You can buy individual courses on MZET, and that's great. But I suggest you become an MZET Pro member because when you become a pro member, you get access to the entire library. Every single thing that's there, you have access to as a pro member. And even that, you can get 20% off by using promo code GCS20. 
So check it out for yourself. Visit gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. And don't forget to use that promo code GCS20 for 20% off. All right. Now, Andrew, let's get back into it. Let's talk about the concert scenes. In um, in the United States versus Billie Holiday, we have a lot of shows. And uh, she's performing a lot of different concerts, different sizes, small ones, big ones, and it also spans her entire career. And a lot of these performances are sort of related to where she is in her life at that moment in time. Um, as a result, as a viewer, I'm seeing a lot of different looks in these scenes, uh, a lot of different filming techniques, camera movements, lighting choices. Uh, it seems like each performance is like kind of its own little mini music video, if you will, or little mini movie, if you will. Uh, is that intentional? Is that what you're doing? And if so, where where did that idea come from? Uh, well, I'm flattered and thrilled that they, they, you, you get it's apparent that each one is different because they are and they're delivery different. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, again, it's coming off what she's doing and the venue, but even within the same venue, like Club Ebony, uh we we use different ideas and techniques and then aims again he's a gaffer and i so it worked out different color the color coordination training what dan dan durant's the production i was doing and the, his guys were doing with the backings and the costumes that we didn't um uh, contradict uh, or clash with those but sometimes in these stories you have to clash deliberately but we did deliberately try and get different looks going with, with the colors and the type of spotlights that she was in. So it didn't, didn't repeat. We, we weren't too repetitive. And I, I'm thrilled that yeah. you, you say that because that's, I mean, that's what we're aiming at. And um, so we didn't get too repetitive. The, the angles we chose, like Carnegie Hall was much more, uh, when she comes out of that labyrinth of after seeing the, um, seeing the lynching, the burning cross, and going through the cabin, the the, 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 um, the shack, and having those moments all through that same yeah. uh, building coming out on the stage, uh, Carnegie Hall, and seeing that. So that was very, in a way, way very formal, because it, it's all about her and her heart and her feeling about it's the song. It's such a beautiful sequence, um, too. Uh, My God. It's, it's and it, the awesome. Build, the, the build on it is so strong, and you don't then, once she gets, because we, we did, I mean, it's all basically one shot. Uh, obviously, there's a cut to get on the stage. Um, but and to it's it's to do with respect. Uh, well, hopefully, it doesn't I don't misuse that word. But it's it's again it's feeding off what she's doing. So we have to have certain things in place before Andrew comes on and see what she's doing. But we do know what the song is, what the song's about, yeah. and um, and Lee will allow us to go with our feelings, mm. which goes for all, all the people he gets around around him. Uh, and hopefully he gets the right people around him, so then we all go with our feelings and, and responses. So as far as, and, and also the, the, the crew, because some of these performances, we had three cameras. I was operating uh, a camera, and then on, maybe on the crane, or whatever, we may have Johan on the on the Steadicam, and then sometimes we switched a handheld, and we had Silva in the third operator, a uh, woman from Montreal operating a third camera. So each of those would, were, and we would actually get in, it, it, uh, again, I'm talking about the camera as a character, but once the, the camera people, the operators and the camera crew become as one with the story and the character, which doesn't always happen, 
because so many people come along on a daily and so many films they come along as a daily and they come along and sure. they say what, what are we in the British way what are we, what are we doing Gov you know where are we yeah, going to put yeah. this and the other and that's coming so the, the, because this has a its own heart and I was lucky enough to work with people who fed off that so back to your question is the we with the crew that I had and the grips the crane operators I could just feel that my way around these situations really on the on the day so it's it's a way of and it sounds like a very luxury but it sort of wasn't because we move very fluidly and easily and quickly yeah um, and because uh, it wasn't a long shoot at all uh although it feels like a big it's, it's an, in, an indie film um uh, not quite like three million dollars but it's not it's not huge either. Sure. It feels like much bigger. So I'm saying, the reason I'm saying it's because... It looks much bigger too. I mean, the production design, the set builds, just all of it is, it looks very expensive. <laughs> it really uh, does. It feels really rich, doesn't it? Yes, yeah. it certainly so, does. Um, let's talk about the use of camera movement in United States versus Billy Holiday. And please do not take this as, it, this is meant as a compliment, although it may not, it may not sound like one. But when I watch it, it feels like there is a lot of techniques being used. There's a lot happening. There's a lot of changes. Like the movie as a whole feels consistent and all seems like it's coming from the same place. But when you break it apart from individual scenes, it feels a lot like there's multiple things going on. There's multiple color palettes. There's different styles of, you know, movement with the camera. There's different styles of shots. Like there's, I've never seen a film, or at least I, I can't remember seeing a film, with so many different types of techniques in it that feels so consistent all the way through. It, it really is, it really is a, it's an interesting way of approaching a piece like this, I thought. I mean, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, there's so much going on, and it feels consistent even still. So I hope you're taking that as a compliment, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you've, how you've done that. I think it's, it's, it's coming off Lee, but, and, 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 and repeat myself here, but coming off Lee and the, and the actors. But so I think we, and that's a, it's a great, and, and thank you for, because I do treat this compliment, because earlier you were saying about the styles and how we change styles. Yeah. To change styles within a film and to still keep it cohesive and the one story, I think, is uh, if you say that we pulled it off because you want to, it, it just gets boring, you know, because otherwise you can do, you oh, know, we're not back in an auditorium or back in the dressing room or back in somewhere else. And therefore you're going to, we, the audience are going to, so you're always keeping the audience, um, alive. The audience is, as I said earlier, the audience is one of the characters in the film, the cinema audience. I mean, our, our movie audience. Um, so therefore they have to be interested in, in, and in, um, Embedded, what's the other word? Embedded or involved in the story, yeah. uh, and therefore you want to keep them up, but not not take them out of it, but keep them interested and not think, oh, here we're going back in this this area, we're going back in that area, and, and you know, with Jimmy Fletcher and his mother, we were in this quite opulent house, and I had a very quite sort of static, you know, we were very keen to keep that sort of because Lee wanted Lee wanted to make sure that the audience knew that black people just didn't live in or dingy basements, so they they were. You know, Jimmy Fletcher came from a uh, very wealthy family. So it's all going on. Then we had, you know, when we feel that each time there's going to be different ways of uh, approaching. And I, and, I, and I, again, I think we just did it. So I mean, I, it sounds sort of crass, but there's no, there's no 
it comes off the actors, and I'm repeating myself here, but it genuinely does. Lee and I talked about certain things, like um, when she first comes into Club Ebony, we studied the Casavetes film. I think Face is one of those where there's a lot of handhelds to Casavetes. Where Casavetes worked was to get actors to not be actors because mm. we didn't have that. Uh, we had a back, you know, Montreal, great uh, supporting artists background. Yeah, actors. yeah. Uh, and so make them be right. So we had this sort of handheld thing going on. And other times we uh, we, we we stole things, stole ideas from uh, La Vie Rose and things. But so there's a within all those things that over the weeks of prep that Lee sort of feeds into my uh, my, my soul and my heart and what little bit of brain I've got left is that that and that sort of um, then it sits there and on the day it comes out because he might just say something Andrew do something some of the other characters do something and Eames is put this light up there doing something and then the, the crane guys do something and then every, everybody feels involved and then it's not, it's not a separate uh, which is great you said that because it's not like a separate moment we're showing off it's not each thing as some rock video that we're just showing off. It's yeah, a, yeah. Two, two minute, two and a half minute thing, and then it's uh, somewhere else. It's actually all part of the same thing. But I, a, a huge credit, of course, also comes to comes has to go to um, Jay, the editor, to give it that flow and bite and zest, and then yeah, play it, play it down sort of thing. But we, of course, um, in my 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 team, and um, we, we gave them the material, which is privileged to be able to do that, but. There were, and it, 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 it wasn't sort of a planned approach. I think it just became its own thing. I mean, the thing when when um, there's uh, some edit when, choices, basically, is what you're saying. Choice. Yeah, but, 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 but we did know that when we went to when she comes on stage and, and, and starts seeing the strange fruit, the cops at the back of the building, at the back of the auditorium, and they get the nod, they all run up there. We were going to, we were going to actually. Um, uh, shoot that very handheld and sort of ragged in a way. So yeah. you get the answer. Well, um, well, with in a film like this with so many different styles in there, decisions still have to be made when to employ those styles. So, I'm yes, sure, so like, let, just if we were to isolate two kind of opposite ends of the spectrum, you've got the 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 static camera's not moving; it's on sticks. You're grabbing your primary shot, your over the shoulder shots, all of that, and then you juxtapose that with like a handheld, like you just mentioned. What is, how are you making the decision what style to use? Uh, what what has to happen in the scene to make it, to make it make sense for being on sticks or being handheld? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we never, never saw, never saw the tripod, but I know what you mean. It's like a dolly shot or something. It's a side of things. Yeah, but so, so, so going back to when she comes out of the shack, after seeing the lynching, she is her moment to sing Strange Fruit in Carnegie Hall. So that's like respectful. Of course, we're always respectful, but that's a very, and it's, 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 it's in this huge auditorium, it's, just, it's about this thing, the celebration and heartache and everything. So that's quite static. Um, mm. And there's little bits of movement within it, but for, so, so there's a soft dance. And other times, as you said, we had sort of more. Um, ragged approach you know when the when the and it, again it's feeding off the music you know when the when the band is up and they're thinking that they're playing the hot the mm. up tempo mm. stuff we we go with that so it's um it, it, it's it's when there were no there were some choices before we got to there on the day but mostly with choices on there so i know there's not asking a question but what what 
creates those answers from the question on the day, I think we have all the all our stuff, our equipment and the stuff there so we can actually make those choices. Yeah. And feel off it. And when you got uh, such fantastic team, fantastic actors, they would just go with it. And um, so, and again, I'm not <laughs> answering the question, but I sort of don't know. I mean, it just, it's, you it's just a, feel it out, whatever whatever feels right at that feeling. time. And I think you can plan stuff, plan stuff up the wazoo, as we say, and then it sort of can feel like that. I think you can you, you start off with a, a concept and then you arrive. And it's different, yeah. and I think that's what you know. It's like Dirks. I always say directors who sometimes do storyboard, and I say, well, look, I said, do some storyboard, do some plans, drawing, and overhead plans, whatever the actors going to do, what they're going to do, where we're going to put the camera and things. And you have it's a template. Great, you get on the day, and the actor wants to do something different. We, you know, we, we start off with a common purpose, yeah. and by doing that, you, and it's just true of this film also. But by doing that, although <clears throat> we didn't storyboard at all. But by doing that, you didn't storyboard we, um, at all. Nothing. Wow. Um, and well, I think we no, we didn't actually. Uh, maybe like the shot in Times Square when she's walking on set, because that's a very complex visual effects thing. So that they get those visual effects people actually know that. But we, um, so we start off with uh, an idea. Uh, say about the, the, the director I work with, who we talk about storyboarding and planning, and then of course you, have, you arrive there in a common, a common um, aim or concept of what it's about. Not necessarily what you're going to do. We have a plan what you're going to do. And but you come with what it's about, the essence of it. Mm. And then when you get there, the actor comes with their own version of their essence. And together we sort of find it. It's always working in fact. So going back to this, it's like coming off. Um, and also go, going to um, uh, Cafe Society the first time with Jimmy. We go into that place, uh, you know, Jimmy Fletcher, we come into that place yeah. with him. So it's really his experience, and then we have, you know, very quite soft. And we're, it's our so our introduction to her, and we're sort of feeling our way through. We're a little bit denied that, but then as we get into the heart, soul, and the meat of the story, and we learn more about her, then we are allowed as a as a privilege of being respectful to that you know, in story terms, not camera things, but as a, a privilege of respect of that journey that we've been allowed to privilege enough to watch, then we get in deeper. Plus, you also have the fact that there's sort of two all, two realities going on. I mean, there's the reality of Billy and her experience as she's as she sees it in front of her, and then there's the reality that she's under investigation. It doesn't know it, you know? So there's there's a lot going on in the film, and it's it's really ripe with possibilities because of that. It is, yeah. So, yes, and, the, and, the, the, and because it's, her story, the line, like well, the truth of the line of the story, uh, comes through. So we we are as filmmakers allowed to diverge and divert and um, play, and still come back because it has its own strength, its own um, you know, as a as a, a, a most beautiful oak tree growing. Uh, you know, um, it has the roots, stability, the and the foundation in in the script. And then you have this tree trunk and the branches go out every which way. And we, we play around with the branches, but essentially it's coming back to the core. And the core is always there because that's who she is. And yeah. we are allowed to be part of privilege. 
In our last few minutes, I want to hit on a couple of questions from Instagram. Christopher Souza asks the lens choices for shooting the film. Chris, we, we answered that earlier, so I hope you have your answer there. If you have any additional questions, and this is for anybody out there listening to the show, when you have additional questions, you can certainly reach out to us on uh, social media, YouTube, anywhere, and we'll do our best to get those questions answered. Um, we got a question from Blueberry on Instagram. How different is it to shoot a biopic and musical versus a rom-com? Um, is it always a serious filming atmosphere because of the genre? Good question. What do you think? It's a very good question. I think you, um, it's, it's always, it's a, it's a respect. And I think if uh, a rom-com, which I have done quite a few, um, and so like, like Crazy Stupid Love, again, we're starting off with a, it was a fantastic script. So your, your customer respects that we, we have fun because partly because of people you're with, but someone like Steve Carell and Julia Moore and all those guys will be serious about their intent because uh, you, you, you have to still be serious about the intent. Otherwise, if you have a great time on set, laughing, joking, then the audience might not actually share that with you. So to be like, yeah. this is what we can do. So therefore, on this film, when it is deeply emotional and Andrew is in a deep um, emotional state, with the, the sense of Andrew as Billy... Um, a deep emotional state, then we are very respectful of that. And, and but so if the moment has to be, sometimes the moment can delivery broken, be broken uh, because then it takes it takes the edge off it. We can all get too serious, but we do. I think you just have to treat it with a little bit of lightness of touch that you're um, you're, you're described properly. But it's a it's a specific thing. What what we do is very complex and um, tricky. So there's a respect to that from every department. So the actors respect, hopefully, uh, what we do. And, and the great actors will respect the person who might be doing the most menial um, task in the film. So it's, it's respect of what we're there for to do, I think, in the end. I said, hopefully. Yeah, no, and I think that I think that answers it really, really well. And of course, we thank all of our audience for asking questions on the program. We like to do that a lot. So when we have upcoming guests and you're following us on social media, you will know about it. So you have an opportunity to ask your question. So Andrew, the film is beautiful. You did a great job. And thank you so much for being on. It's called The United States vs. Billie Holiday, and it's uh, on Hulu. And uh, it just, I, I, even if you are not interested at all in the Billie Holiday story, which I don't believe that if that's the case, because it's a, just a, such a compelling story. But if nothing else, you've got to watch this film just for the look. It it really is just stunning and beautiful and a great portrayal of the 1940s and 50s. It's It's not what you think when you think of a period piece. This is really something elevated, in my opinion. It's Andrew Dunn and his team that that made this all happen. So thank you so much, Andrew, for being on the Go Creative Show. Well, thank you very much. It's a great privilege, and I've enjoyed it very much. And hopefully it shares some lights uh, on, on the subject and on what we do. All right, I want to thank Andrew Dunn, BSC, the director of photography for the United States vs. Billy Holiday for coming on the show and talking to us all about his new film. Of course, you guys can check it out for yourself on Hulu right now. And I also want to thank our producer, Connor Crosby, for making the show happen behind the scenes. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. And of course, Dave Siegel for mixing and mastering and making the show sound so good. You can find him at siegelsound.com. Uh, of course, follow us 
Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We have a lot of YouTube exclusive content just for our YouTube audience. So please do check us out there. And when you're on YouTube, hit the notification bell, of course, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Of course, you can find us on your favorite podcast app simply by searching Go Creative Show. And links to all of these things are at gocreativeshow.com. I want to thank our sponsor, MZ Education for Creatives, and of course, all of you guys for listening to the show and participating, asking your questions, and sharing. We love doing this show, and thank you so much for listening. With that, we'll see you next week on another episode of Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers.